The world-famous Conservation Canine Camp will next be running in southeast Queensland, Australia, from the 21st to the 25th of August. Join us with your dog to start your journey into conservation detection. Visit padfoot.com.au to book your place today. So welcome to the second episode um, of Conservation Canine Podcast coming from the ACDN conference um, in August 22 held in Canberra. With me today I've got our keynote speaker from day one and one of the committee members from the ACDN just to talk a little bit about the conference and and their experience of it and uh, what they think the group have got out of it. So firstly, Roman, you want to introduce yourself, anyone who doesn't know who you are already? Yeah, hi there. Um, so I was um, um, speaking yesterday um, at the start of this conference. Um, I come in um, from a group at the University of Sunshine Coast. Um, we call self-detection dog for conservation, and we've been involved in um, doing conservation dog and, and developing technology um, to help protecting wildlife um, for a few years now. And um, yeah, really happy to be here. Great, and Scotty, yeah. who are you? Thanks, James, for the opportunity. Yeah, Scott Thompson from Terrestrial Ecosystems in West Australia. And I actually feel this is a privilege for me because Ramon was the actual person who gave us the inspiration to get into dogs. And it was at a previous uh, conference workshop where she did demonstrations with a koala dog. And we walked away from that going, this is the best thing I've ever seen. How can we adapt this to what we do in a, a consulting and uh, client-based framework? So, yeah, it's a real privilege. So is that how the um, Australasian Conservation Dog Network came apart? Because, Ramon, I mean, you were part of that initial formation. So so really, what was the catalyst? Was it a conversation between yourself and some colleagues, or was it a bit of a demo? How did it all happen? So it all happened. So the first time we met was in 2017, and so it happened probably oh, about a year before that. Um, and I think it really stemmed from the fact that um, I remember doing um, a little, um, it was the catalyst, it was a, a little media uh, thing about detection dog and talking about conservation dog in general, but especially um, koala detection dog. And um, when the catalyst episode came out, they said, oh, yeah, and Maya, the first koala detection dog in Australia. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no, they can't do that. They, I didn't say that. Where did they get that from? And so I get, got really, um, really worried that I was offending people. So I started calling people that I, who I knew were working with conservation dog and koala dog and um, started the conversation by apologizing and saying, I, I didn't say that. I am so sorry. I, I'm very well aware you're also working um, here. And so um, I think we started the conversation saying, hey, you know, we're doing very similar thing. We are passionate about conservation dogs. We are passionate about protecting threatened species. Um, you know, there's not a lot of, um, at the time, there was not a lot of books or um, training that you could attend. And, and we felt quite isolated. And, and um, we thought, you know what, this is fantastic to be speaking on the phone with you. But how about we try to see whether everyone around Australia um, that is interested in those sort of things would like to come together and um, and just have a chat. And um, a lot of it, and uh, uh, at the time, I was... Um, quite clear that I was really interested in how we could, um, one, have a supportive network where we could he- help each other, and two, kind of agree on some sort of guideline for testing the dogs. Um, training the dog, I think everyone can do it. You know, there's a million ways to train a dog successfully. But the testing, um, we thought, uh, personally, I thought, um, and I was quite um, 
passionate about the fact that we needed a good testing um, because everything we do in science really needs to be grounded in knowing the limitation. Nothing is perfect. We just have to live with it, but we have to understand what it means um, for the research and, and the survey that we do. Um, so it was um, really well received and people came from all around uh, Australia. And the, sponsor, uh, the um, uh, first meeting gathering was um, on the Sunshine Coast um, and it was sponsored by the International Fund for Animal Welfare um, who have been um, really supportive of us. And I I thought we would just be a network and, and you know, very loosely group of people having a chat, having sometimes maybe some gathering. Um, and then, you know, things happen when you put some wonderful people together and uh, the committee and um, all the people um, involved in this conference build it into something much more strong and, and structured and with lots more um, reach. So mm -hmm. it's really wonderful to be here five years down the track. But there's an incredible amount of work, isn't it? Because you, you talk about the testing and the standards and obviously at the conference this afternoon, the new OCDN kind of competency framework or whatever we're calling it is kind of being unveiled, you know, which obviously we'll pack, unpack properly in a later episode of the podcast. But, you know, that's a long journey. I mean, even with kind of COVID in the middle and so on to disrupt things, it's taken a really long time to get from that initial kind of inception you know, through to the place we are now. And obviously then there's an iterative, there'll be a constantly adapting iterative you know, process. So, I mean, are you proud of the work, do you think, that the, the organisation is doing? Yeah, I'm really proud. <laughs> I'm a bit biased, but I'm really proud. Um, but I think the reason it took um, so long to get those guidelines out is that we were really wanting to be consultative. Like we, mm. we went all around the world and asked people, what they thought. Um, we wanted it to be really helping conservation and not hindering. And we really have to um, walk that line that we want to support great achievement without preventing some achievement. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't always for everything need to be perfect. And no method is perfect. I've, I've been testing dogs against molecular technology and the molecular technology is not perfect either. Yeah. Um, so we, we tend to held the dogs to a much higher standard sometimes than just an ecologist. Mm. Um, and we want to see all the testing of the dog, whereas ecologists, we just trust they know their job, for instance. I've, I've seen that a lot. Um, and so I think we, we need to be really good at saying, this is the limitation of your method. You know how much your dog can find and how much it can miss. And you know how much other method can find and miss. And so all together, you can make the best decision to collect the best data you can. Hmm. Um, but we don't want, for instance, there's a lot of um, work being done in working with um, uh, citizen scientists and their dog. Um, and there is way to um, enhance um, the number of people collecting data because at the end of the day, we are facing crisis in conservation. So we don't want to stop that good work. The dog might not be 100%, but if they found something that is then put on record as, oh, look, there's a threatened species here that no one else found but that conservation citizen scientist dog, then that's awesome. And we need to not prevent that, but also to help people really accountable for, mm. yeah, the performance of their, their team. Yeah, yeah. When we started putting together the competency guidelines, we thought there would be a very simple, you know, prescriptive guideline that we can put together and it would be, this is how we test, this is what we need to do. The more we talked and the more we went out to consultation, the more we realised you can't do a prescriptive-based document. It was never going to work. So what's coming out is guidance-based. Mm. It gives everyone somewhere to refer back to, and there is no perfect answer when it comes to it. So every dog and every handler and every handling team are different. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because when you look around the world, there's lots of different, I mean, there's organisations working on their own similar, you know, bunch of these guidelines. And there's been some collaboration in some of those groups, less so with others. It makes it very, very hard for, you know, for a young industry to have so many different perspectives on it and so on. Absolutely. Yeah, to come you up with think, If you look back five years, where were we then compared to where are we now? Yeah. Um, and everyone looks at the US and the UK have been doing this for a long time, except UK are also at a similar stage, if not 18 months, two years behind Australia, as they're now thinking about developing competency guidelines. But they've been doing this work for 20 years. So yeah. I just think it's, it's coming from... Uh, dogs being tracking and pets and it's an interesting thing for dogs or a hunting background to professionalising conservation orientated uh, work with dogs. It's it's another tool in the toolbox that we can use for threatened species management and many other uh, adaptations to what we do. Yeah. So talking about the, the, the collaborative structure of the ACDN and I uh, think Scott for those who don't know, Western Australia is quite remote from pretty much anywhere, so it's remote from anywhere else in Australia, it's remote from anywhere else in the rest of the world, really. How do you, I mean, how do you find as a practitioner in Western Australia the support of the other kind of ACDN members around the rest of the world? For me, we're one of the, the first in Western Australia to have a conservation detection mm. dog, so having a network that we can lean back on um, to chase ideas, to throw ideas at, to just learn what everyone else has done. You learn from your mistakes but you can't learn from other people's mistakes if you don't have that network to come back on. So after the initial meeting in 17, I went to the second meeting at Zeus Victoria um, and was lucky enough to do a quick presentation there, but it just gave me that ability to network and actually see people and bounce ideas, and it was from that that we've been able to improve our methods and what we do in practice. And we come to these forums, and if I walk away from the end of it and I've learned one new thing, it's been an excellent workshop or conference for me, but likewise, if I can then assist someone new to the industry with teaching them one new thing, I feel even better. Hmm. So one hot topic that's come up as part of the, the, the conference, certainly in your keynote, Roman, anyway, was the, the issues in the EPBC Act and the recognition of dogs as a valid survey method you know, associated with that. And we were very fortunate to have the Threatened Species Commissioner here listening you know, to you, talking about that and then being interrogated by Scott later on about the same topic. Um, can you just give us a very, very broad overview of what that's about just for people you know, who may not have heard that? Yeah, I mean, um, in my talk, I, um, I was a little bit harsh because um, we've been working... Justifiably so. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's just um, we're at the forefront of trying to protect the species. And when you see that the law um, are failing species so much... Um, it's really, um, it becomes frustrating. And um, of course, um, we can't fix everything in a day, but uh, it was amazing to be able to talk to someone from government um, because you're always hoping that they're going to, you know, keep that in the back of their mind and try to improve legislation. Um, we had it review um, twice now, the PBC Act, and um, the first time they put it out in 99 and the 10-year and the 20-year review, they said exactly the same thing, the scientists who assessed it. Um, so they knew they knew the loophole from the start and they were confirmed a decade ago and they still confirm now and um, we haven't seen the change. Um, so that's, that's um, yeah, uh, very disappointing because if the law um, is so bad, you know, everything else that we can do feels like we're putting little band-aids on something that is really um, so big, um, so much bigger than what we can do. So having the dog in in as a recommended method is 
you know, one part, um, but a very small part, I think, compared to everything else that needs fixing. But since she was here and since she was coming to a, a detection dog conference, of course, it was, I think, um, pointy to remind her that um, it's good to show the support here, but we also need uh, government to uh, provide guidelines that are um, evolving with with us. Yeah. And, you know, we see that um, not just with dog, but we're using new technology. We we, you know, rapidly evolving. And um, I think potentially um, government is um, less afraid of integrating new technology compared to dogs. And I think maybe that's the issue. I think we trust more something we created, such as a drone or a molecular analysis in the lab, because it's got, you know, that human hmm. stamp on it. Um, whereas dogs maybe, um, you know, even though we worked with dogs for much longer than we worked with technology, and um, there's still a bit of fear. And so I think that's really what Nance um, yeah, wanted that's to right. bring the forward. Conservation detection dogs are not the silver bullet for conservation, for threatened species management, for any of that no, kind no. of stuff. They're another tool in the toolbox. But we need recognition from the regulators at both state and federal level that it can be used for that purpose. Mm. And that's really where I think the Threatened Species Commissioner has now gone away and gone, yep, we now need better recognition for it. They've been supporting projects using detection dogs for quite a while now, but it hasn't flowed down the other end, so the regulators are now letting practitioners bring up that method. So Yeah, she always she almost seemed surprised to me when you when you raised it that she, she wasn't I mean, and you wouldn't expect the commissioners to necessarily be down in the weeds with the detail of everything. No. But, you know, it was almost because she's here and because she's very aware of the benefit of using dogs, you know, in, in the right circumstances. Absolutely. She was a bit surprised they weren't part of the exactly. species strategies for surveys and things like that. I think they're incorporated into a couple of the different species, but they're more the high-profile species. Yeah. And, yeah, technology seems to be running ahead of um, other methods in some places. And as Ramana said, it may be because it's, it's human-created and can be tested in a very regimented way. Every dog and every handler team is different. So that's where the competency guidelines come in and having you know a network like this that we can share ideas, etc. It brings it together and I just think it'll go a long way in the next five years. Yeah. So speaking of the network, um, presentation is going to start back up again in a minute, so we should probably knock off in a second and get back to it, otherwise we'll miss all the good stuff. Um, just very briefly from you both, I mean, what's been the, the highlight of the conference, do you think, from a personal level and from the people that you've been t- you know, engaging with over the last couple of days? For myself, it's being able to network with actual people and not over Zoom, Um, coming back to reality and also being able to share ideas with people who aren't necessarily from an Australasian network, they're from around the world and they have completely different ideas and different experiences and I think I can go away and learn and adapt with what we're doing here. Cool. Ramon? For me, it's really um, bringing the people together. So we've try to really instill that in the mission and, and in the culture of the SCDN is that we want to be supportive and we don't want judgment. We all have different opinion and idea and we all do things differently. And that's great. That's diversity. That's, you know, how wonderful this word is. It's because we are all different, um, but we need to be respectful and supportive of each other. And I think um, we really feel that in the room. And um, I think people coming from the rest of the world were actually quite surprised that we're able to bring people you know, from all walk of life and have that uh, supportive environment. And, and yeah, compassion is key. And that's, for me, seeing this in action is really, really wonderful. 
Great. Well, look, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. I hope to get you both individually on the podcast in the future just to explore the work that you're doing in a bit more detail. If you're both willing to do that, I'll get a yes from you both yes, now. Please, yes, <laughs> right, But otherwise, enjoy the, enjoy the rest of the conference, and uh, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Conservation Canine Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please like, share, and subscribe wherever you find us.